Okay, so we are in Haggai chapter 2, and this morning we're starting at verse 14. So let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you do speak to us, uh, not only through your written word, but in, in ages past through your prophets. Because you want us to know your will, you want us to encourage us, um, discipline us when necessary. We thank you for that. We pray now as we study your word that uh, you'll open our hearts and minds to understand and apply it in our own lives where applicable. Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, let's uh, get our context. We'll read, starting in verse 10, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches bread with his fold, or cooked food, wine, oil, or any other food, will it become holy? And the priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does not, it does become unclean. And Haggai said, so is this people, and so is this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord. When anyone came to a heap of twenty measures, there was only ten. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were only twenty. I smote you in every work of your hands with blasting wind, mildew, and hail, yet you did not come back to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the, of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive trees have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. And I will also throw the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders will go down to everyone by the sword of another. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Okay, so last week we finished up the second uh, message from Haggai. That was where he was, uh, the Jews were disappointed in how small and plain the new temple looked, and, and so uh, God is telling them that his temple will be glorious in and we were, he was referring to the millennial temple, which is still yet to be built. But uh, all the nations will bring their wealth, and, and it will be a glorious temple. So we began the third message in verse 10. Now there's about a two-month gap between the second and third messages here. One's in the seventh month, the next one's, this one that we're looking at today is in the ninth month. And we saw that uh, he begins by asking the priest for a ruling. And basically the, the results of the ruling is that a holy object 
cannot touch another object and make it holy. However, a defiled object or a defiled person, if they touch something, it will become defiled. And so it's similar to disease. You know, you can touch someone and transmit disease, but you can't touch someone and transmit health. And then we looked at that one verse in Matthew where Jesus touches and cures the leper, and we see that he was just the opposite, totally opposite. Anyways, this morning, uh, we're starting verse 14, and this is the application of this principle, that a defiled person, if they touch something, it becomes defiled. And Haggai answered and said, so, so is this people and so is this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. So this begins as a message of rebuke, um, not as encouragement. There will be encouragement at the end, but it begins with rebuke. And, it, and we see God calling them this people and this nation. They're not my people and my nation. You see this separation here because they are defiled. Um, we saw that back in chapter 1, verse 2, where God was rebuking them for not working on the temple. And he called them this people. So the people are like someone who is unclean from touching a, a corpse. Everything that they touch also becomes unclean. And specifically it mentions um, their offerings. Their offerings are unclean. They do have uh, an altar. They, they built the altar, but they haven't built the temple. Um, and so for 15 years... They basically had been disobeying God, ignoring God, but they still came with their offerings. And because they loved themselves more than they were loving God. And this is really a heart problem that the offerings did not cure. You know, they were bringing holy meat to the temple, but it didn't cure their hearts. And God is disgusted with that kind of offering. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, um, we're going to look at verses 11 through 15, so why don't we read around on those, Marie, if you'd like to start. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. For you have come to appear before me. Who has asked this of you? This trampling of my corpse. Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of the assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in this solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. You have become to me a mere, you have become a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing you. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Okay, so this is um, Isaiah denouncing the, the um, idolatry in, in Judah. And God says he's just disgusted with all their religious activities, with their sacrifices, because they're not 
Their hearts are not in it. Their hearts are not pure toward God. And all this religious activity does not make them clean. But instead, everything they do is defiled because they are defiled. And so we see that attitude. Um, and so this is a, a call to repentance here. Um, this is also the very first message that Zechariah brought. So let's look at Zechariah chapter 1. If you remember Zechariah, this first message comes in the month just before what we're reading now. So Zechariah chapter 1. And here we'll read verses 1 through 6. And um, maybe we can start reading and take up from where we left off last time. I can't remember if it's... Ebalet, so... Bethany, I'll read verse... In the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Edo. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your forefathers, to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says, Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your ancestors now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your fathers? Then they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts purposed to do to us in accordance with our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. Okay, so this is a call to repentance. And that came just a month before the passage we're reading. So even though they decided to obey God by going back to rebuilding the temple, their attitudes toward God are still wrong. Their, act, their, act, their, their thinking, their hearts are wrong. And God's calling them to repent in their hearts, not just in their actions, but their hearts to be changed. So going and, and offering sacrifices has not solved the problem. You know, going to church does not make you clean, <laughs> does not make you holy. <laughs> it takes an, an attitude change. You know, that makes me think of, I've been reading this Samuel. For Samuel, I was thinking the same thing. Too. You know, the second part says to obey is better than sacrifice. The he's better yeah. than sacrifice. Right, right. right. I was thinking of the same thing, right? Good. Yes, that's exactly. <laughs> we, see that, we see that throughout Scripture. Yeah. Um, okay, going on to the, the next section here in verses 15 through 17. It says, but now do consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed on before one stone was placed on another in the temple of the Lord, from that time when one came to a grain heap of twenty measures, there would only be ten. And when came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there would only be twenty. I smote you with and every work of your hands with blasting wind, mildew, and hail, yet you did not come back to me, declares the Lord. So We've had this before where God says, consider your ways. Think about what's going on here. Um, and in this case, he's going to say, consider your ways. Um, basically, from this day onward, think about what's going to happen in the future. And then he stops and he says, okay, well, let's remember what happened in the previous 15 years. So we want to think about the future in terms of the last 15 years of your history. 
And that last 15 years, it says, before one stone was placed on another in the temple. Well, that started, they started rebuilding the temple two months before. So it says, think back before you started rebuilding the temple. What, what was going on there? And then he tells us, verses 16 and 17, uh, you go to get grain. You know, you, your wheat harvest is half of what you expected. You expected 20, there's only 10. Uh, you go to get wine. It was less than half of what they expected. So their crops, and this is an agricultural society. So this is, you know, they were impoverished. We've seen this already. So there's crop failures. Um, and God tells us here that was directly the result of God's action to smite them <laughs> in discipline, to smite or, smite or strike them down in discipline. So he sends blasting wind, mildew, hail. The, and what was the purpose of all this? To get them to turn to him. To get them to repent, right. This is not just punishment. It's, it's to get them to return to him, to turn back to him. We saw that, especially in Zechariah. Return to me, and I so will return they, to you. Did they respond to Zechariah by then doing this? So a month later, that this message came out. A month later, the message is repeated. <laughs> but, but it's just like it's yeah. built on each other. Building, yes. You know. Yeah. We typically need to hear something more than once before we respond. <laughs> but that last line in that um, in verse nineteen, from this day on, I will bless you. So there must yeah. have been something. Right. There's there's something that, that's that's what he's talking about. Looking ahead, okay. you know, consider what what I will do. But he also says, look at. Look in the rearview mirror. You know, where have we come from? We've come from um, blasting wind, mildew, hail. Uh, remember in Haggai chapter 1, we talked about the drought. The ground was like iron and the sky um, like bronze. Or I think it was some of the things we've seen. God, there it says God blew away their crops and he sent a horrible drought. Now going on in verses 18 and 19, that's almost a repeat of what we've just seen. It says, do consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, which is the day of, the, of this particular prophecy, um, from the day when the temple of the Lord was founded, consider, is the seed still in the barn, even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree, it has not borne fruit. Yet from this day on, I will bless you. So again, consider from... You know, from this day onward, think about what's going to happen in the future. And then again, he looks in the rearview mirror. Um, from the day the temple was founded, that was the foundations were laid 15 years earlier. So what happened in those 15 years? Well, he tells us again. Um, is there any seed in the barn? <laughs> he doesn't answer it, but the answer is no. <laughs> what's happened here? Um, between the second and third prophecy, we go from the seventh month to the ninth month. Now it's like December. Their barley was planted in the fall, and spring wheat was planted. So we've got a two-month gap, and this is when they should have sown their fields. You know, it doesn't say is there um, grain in the barn or food in the barn. It's seed, which which implies what you plant. Um, they went out and they planted, and they 
they scraped every last kernel they had. They did not have any surplus. There was no seed left over. Um, everything they found, they, they planted. Um, it also talks about, again, the, the failure of the, uh, the vine, the fig, the pomegranate, and olives. The crops had failed. And it's just a reminder. This is what's been going on for the last 15 years. Think about it. Um, but it ends, <clears throat> verse 19 ends with the promise. It says, from this day on, I will bless you. So they had decided that they would obey God. Now he's warning them their hearts are still not right, but they are at least doing what they're supposed to be doing. And is Timbo built at this point? They are working on it. But it's not bad. It's not bad. No. No, I think so it's... blessing them even though they aren't bad. Right. progressing. They've been working on it for roughly two months, I guess, or so, more. So the blessing that will bless you from this day forward, and basically it's, it's before that they finish their work, but their, their hearts are set to do it. So. Yes. Some, sometimes... Sometimes we need to just go and... Start doing what we know we ought to do, even though our heart's not in it. And as a result of that, then our heart will be changed. That that may be what's going on here. See, I was reading that their hearts were changing. (coughs) Mm -hmm. They don't have to really change it, but at least they're starting. Yeah, yeah. They're at least obeying uh, as a result of the prophets. Yeah. You can see it in little children. You know, a lot of times they will be disobeying and you ask them to obey and they really don't want to mm-hmm. but if they start then you know a lot of times they'll continue in that path or you talk about it with about love and marriage mm-hmm. a lot of times you're alienated from your spouse but you act in a loving way mm-hmm. the Lord will you know bless bring that. that bless that, that. Yeah. yeah yeah right one of the things that um, we'll see here, or the Jews will see, is they have planted, um, like their winter wheat, their barley, and they need the winter rains to get a good harvest. So they will, they will be able to tell within a month or two if God is blessing them, because they've had drought. They haven't had the rains that they needed. So it should be pretty obvious to them pretty soon that God is blessing them. If the, if the winter rains come and start to uh, you know, get a good crop from the result of that. So they should be able to tell pretty quickly. Now one of the things uh, we see here is that uh, God's covenant with Israel was not necessarily one of grace. This is works. God says, if you do the right thing, then I will bless you. If you don't do the right thing, then I will curse you. If you read Leviticus chapter 26, Deuteronomy 28, they're almost like twin chapters. The first one-third of the chapter is the blessings of obedience, and then the latter two-thirds are the curses of disobedience. The latter two-thirds of those chapters basically outlines the history of Israel. They disobeyed, and you can see all the curses that came upon them. Um, they were pre-warned. They were, they were definitely warned. Let's look at... It always seems like the blessings 
in great abundance compared to oh, yeah. curses, though. You know, like even right. when he talks about cursing down a few generations, then when he talks about the blessings, it goes on forever. For, yes. You know, uh -huh. a huge and, amount of time. So, and and ultimately. God will be gracious to Israel when he restores them. It will be an act of grace because they won't deserve it any more than we deserved our salvation. <laughs> um, to see this principle, let's turn to Malachi chapter 3. This is the well-known chapter on tithing. Malachi 3, would someone like to read verses 10 and 11 for us? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, this is a very similar message. If you, you know, because we've gone over and over again with, through Ezra and Nehemiah, they didn't bring the tithe. And Malachi prophesied somewhere around this time and, and later um, that they were still dealing with this issue, that they weren't bringing the tithe in. God says, if you bring in the tithe, I'll bless you. That's works. You, you obey and I'll bless. Um, in the New That's Testament... I thought they'd changed. <laughs> <laughs> and there's dis discipline for um, disobedience. Um, one last passage before we finish this uh, particular prophecy. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 8. And again, Zechariah prophesied around this same time. I'm not sure if chapter 8 is at this time, but chapter 8, someone would like to read verses 10 through 12. Before that time, there were no wages for people or hire for animals. No one could go about their business safely because of their enemies, since I had turned everyone against their neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of these people as I did in the past, declares the Lord Almighty. The seed will grow well, the vine will yield its fruit, the ground will produce its crops, and the heavens will draw their dew. I will give all these things as an inheritance to the remnant of these people. Okay, so here we see the same thing. You were suffering under the discipline, but now you will see blessing. You were, your enemies were attacking you, now you'll have peace. So uh, this basically supports the message of, of Haggai. <clears throat> um, okay, so now we can go to the last of Haggai's prophecies in verse 20. So then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying. So this is the same day. The third and fourth prophecies were on the same day, uh, just later in the day. And verses 21 and 22. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, and I'm going to overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the powers of the kingdoms of the nations. And I will overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders will go down, everyone, by the sword of one another. So we've already had a, a prophecy of shaking, uh, but this one here is directed just as Rubbable, the governor. Before it was 
you know, he's speaking to Zerubbabel and to Joshua the high priest and to the remnant of the people. But this is more specific. It's just directed to Zerubbabel. So he foretells these same events we had back in chapter 1, verse 6. I think, where is it? Nope. 2-6, excuse me. Chapter 2, verse 6. For once more the Lord of hosts says, Come, once more in a little while I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also, and the dry land, and I'll shake all the nations. So this is the same event that we're talking about here. Um, This is the the great tribulation, uh, the last three and a half years before Christ returns and establishes his kingdom on earth, the, the millennial kingdom. So Haggai actually gives us more details here than he did earlier in, in the, the previous prophecy. It says he's going to uh, overthrow the thrones, so the thrones of the, the rulers, the governments of these nations. He'll destroy the power of the kingdoms of these nations. Um, the term nations is often used of the, basically all the Gentiles. So these are all the other nations around them. Uh, the power can be Maybe industrial power, economic power, military power, um, but God will destroy that. Um, <clears throat> it says, I'll overthrow the chariots and their riders. Well, these are, this is specifically their, their armies. Um, you know, they, their chariots were their, their armored units, I guess, in those days, uh, the riders in them. So this is military defeat. And then he says, the horses and their riders will go down, everyone by the sword of another. So he's talking about the foreign armies fighting each other or within the armies. They'll destroy each other. And yours says another, is that what happened? The, everyone by the sword of another. Okay, mine says his brother. Of his brother, Okay. Um, let's look at some other passages that describe these events. Let's look at Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 8. Zephaniah chapter 3. Would someone like to read verse 8? Zephaniah is right before Haggai. Yeah, it's close by. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day I will stand up to testify. I have decided to assemble the nations to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them, all my fierce anger. The whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. Okay, so this sounds like a pretty major event here. Um, this is God gathering all the people together to pour out his anger and wrath upon them. And where will this take place? Where will they be gathered? Well, this, this is what we will call Armageddon. It'll be in the land of Judah. So let's turn to Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. Would someone like to read verses 2 through 5 here? Behold, I'm going to make Jerusalem a 
cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured, and all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. In that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with bewilderment and its rider with madness. But I will watch over the house of Judah while I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. How far? Um, also verse 5. Then the clans of Judah will say in their hearts, A strong support for us are the inhabitants of Jerusalem through the Lord of hosts, their God. Okay, so again we see the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. And he's gathering them all to Jerusalem and Judea, uh, Judah, the land of Judah, uh, where he will pour out his wrath, as we saw in Zephaniah. And you can see in verse 4 that he's going to strike every horse with bewilderment and the rider with madness. And so this is really what's going to lead them to destroy one another. We have an example of that happening way back in Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. This is the story of Gideon attacking the Midianites. Judges chapter 7. Would someone like to read verses 20 through 22? The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hand and holding on the right hand the trumpets and they, they, were, they were to blow. They shouted, A sword for the Lord and a for Didion. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the three hundred trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Bethshidel, whatever, towards Jeroa, and as far as the border of Abba-Mahalo, near Tabat. Tab- Tab- uh, okay, wherever that is. <laughs> we, we, we have no idea where those places are. I suppose we could do some research, find out where these places are and how to say the word names of them. Watch archaeology today. Yeah, you know, yeah. They may, they may come real soon. They may figure them yeah. out. <laughs> but you see the panic, and they start killing each other. You know, and so God will, God will do that same thing as the armies of the, you know, it's like, it's like the whole world has decided we need to attack Jerusalem, and they will self-destruct. Wasn't there some of the seven-day war too? Wasn't there did they attack each other also in that? I don't remember. I think that, that might have read too many books about them, probably, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know, fictional books, but. Does it, you know, now if you read stories of you know, like fictional prophecy type, they incorporate this type of stuff into their modern modern um, act, you know, modern atom, atom tanks and whatnot. So it's kind of interesting to see how they interpret the the biblical into into um, modern day okay. warfare type stuff. Right. Try to apply the, the yeah. prophecies to current yeah. armament. Yeah. Yeah, Hal Lindsey was famous for that, I think. <laughs> You're right. I'm not going to do that. Let's see the end result of all this. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 11.
Revelation chapter 11. Would someone like to read verse 15? Revelation 11, 15. Okay, the kingdom of the world is now the kingdom of Christ. Christ comes, he subdues all the nations, and he rules over them. This is the beginning of his thousand-year rule, uh, which we call the millennium. Um, okay, going back to Haggai chapter 2. and. Um, Verse 23 says, On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So on that day, all through prophecy, you see this term, in that day or on that day. And it, it seems to always focus on the the day when Christ returns, the day when um, Israel is given new birth, they're gathered together into the land, they're given new hearts, a new spirit to serve God. Christ destroys the nations. Um, so we, it's, it's like the, everything focuses on that, on that day when that happens. <clears throat> so God will do something special for Zerubbabel on that day. Now Zerubbabel lived, this is around, the temple was finished I think in 515 BC. So it's been 2,500 years since the temple was completed. Zerubbabel's been dead a long, long time. So for, for God to give any special blessing to Zerubbabel, what do we have to have? We have... We have to have a resurrection. Yeah. He has to be resurrected. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. So that's another thing that happens on that day. is a resurrection. <clears throat> Ezekiel 37. <clears throat> Someone like to read verses 12 through 14 for us. 37. 37. God puts his spirit in them. They accept, they, they know that he's their God. They're brought back to the land. <clears throat> All in that, in that verse there. Um, so we have that resurrection. Um, there's another verse. I'll turn to Isaiah 26. Um, verse 19. And it says, your dead will live, your corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy, for 
Your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. So there's another passage about the resurrection. So God says he's chosen Zerubbabel to be like his signet ring. Um, you know, this chosen is being refers to you know God's sovereign appointment to to something, and the signet ring referred to the it was the power and authority of the king. Um, let's look at a couple. Well, we can look at one passage. Let's look at Esther chapter three. Esther chapter 3. Someone like to read verses 10 and 11. Or 10 through 12, excuse me. 10 through 12. So the king is not the one who issued the edict. Haman wrote it, but the king gave him the signet ring. And so when he stamped these documents, they went out with the king's authority. So the, the ring itself basically indicated the authority of the king. Um, we don't need to turn there, but there's a story of Ahab when he wanted Naboth's vineyard. Jezebel says, don't worry, I'll get it. She took the king's ring and applied his seal to the orders to have Naboth uh, basically murdered. Um, so this verse is telling us that God's going to give Zerubbabel his divine authority. You'll be my signet ring. Um, now, let's look at who Zerubbabel was. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 1. Verses 11 and 12. So this is the genealogy of Christ, yes. To Josiah were born Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, to Jeconiah was born Shealtiel and to Shealtiel was Rubbabel. So this is the divine lineage of the kings. Jeconiah was the king who was carried off to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and we don't have time to look at this, but he... Well, I'll look at one of them. Jeremiah 22. Verse 24. This is probably the... Okay, so here Jeconiah is just called Coniah. And God says, you're a singet ring, and I'm going to pull you off. I've removed divine authority from you. 
You are no longer my representative. And from this time on, Judah did not have an independent king. They were always subject to the Gentile nations. So does this mean that Zerubbabel is going to be put on the throne of David? No, there's a curse on Kaniah. None of his descendants will sit on the throne. David will come back. You know, if, if you look at some other verses that I don't have time to look at, <laughs> it talks about David himself being resurrected and sitting on the throne. Um, so God does tell Zerubbabel, somewhere in this in the millennial kingdom, I'm going to give you divine authority. We're not told what his realm of authority is, but he's given the authority. Um, he will not be the king of Israel because of these other issues. So, Okay, well, I didn't think we'd get into those last few things, but... <laughs> so could, could it just be that because he's in Christ's lineage... That it, it refers, you know, he doesn't get to sit on the earthly throne, but his seed will. Sounds more like there's a resurrection I, involved. I, I think when you, you look at some passages in Ezekiel, and I think, you know, Jesus returns as king of kings. He rules over all the kings of the nations, and the king or prince of Israel will be David. It doesn't have any messianic like son of David or root of Judah, you know, of Jesse. It just says David. And there's like at least four passages that name him that way. So, wow. okay. so I think David will be resurrected to sit on the throne of Israel. And he will be subject to, to Christ, who is the king of kings. So, okay. We need to close. Uh, would you like to close in prayer? Sure. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the way it speaks to us in the past and today. We thank you for the way it outlines history, but then gives lessons of how you took care of, of your people in years of the past and, and how you're still the same God today and will take care of us and, as we step forward also. Pray we'll be obedient to what you have us to do, that we'll follow in the footsteps you want us to follow, that we'll see those you want us to see, that we'll be a witness to you to those who you want us to be a witness to. We thank you for this hour. Pray for the next hour of our teaching. Lord, just pray one that as a church body, we will continue to seek after you and to worship you in the way you want us to worship you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Mm.